0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Richard C. Lyons, a poet, a publisher, and award-winning author of the books The DNA of Democracy and Shadows of the Acropolis. So much going on in America today to discuss, and there's a lot of history behind it. Richard C. Lyons, thanks for joining us today on The Schilling Show Unleashed.
1: It's great to be with you, Rob. Good morning.
0: I know one of your great concerns and one of mine is something you talk about. is the drift of America and how we got here from where we started. I'd like to take a brief overview from your perspective of America's drift.
1: Well, I think it's a drift that happens in any democratic government. It's a drift in in the concentration of power, uh, power being diffused to power being concentrated and from power being all over the country, in the many states and localities to being in one place. And that drift has, has happened in America, it used to be in local hands and in state hands, in the hands of families and individuals, is now being concentrated in the administrative state in Washington. And I think it's there for everybody to see. I noticed it a number of years ago, uh, like a lot of people in America, and decided to look into it and found that my suspicions were justified.
0: I think something else that you point out in the books that's so important is the historical dominance of tyranny in the world. So we live yes. in America. We grew up here. Uh, many of us, unfortunately, are isolated from history and historical facts. And so we <laughs> that's true. we think it's always been like this. Uh, you've written two books to dispel that. But let's talk yeah. about that uh, that situation of tyranny throughout most of man's existence.
1: Well, yeah, that's the fact. Uh, I call it the the common keep of human history. And it is The dominant form of government on the earth throughout history has been tyranny. Whether it were the pharaoh's tyranny in Egypt or or the modern uh, equivalent in Russia or whether today in China, the vast majority of mankind has suffered tyranny throughout the world, throughout history. So our system of government in America is unique in its composition and very infrequent in history and very frail by nature.
0: Well, it certainly is. And and before we step back in history, which I want to do, I do want to talk about the concept of tyranny in America today. I certainly see it being exhibited very clearly. And while it may not be to the extent we've seen in other places, it certainly seems to be wearing its ugly head.
1: In the book, DNA of Democracy, I go into the tyranny of the Plantagenets in England. That would be William the Conqueror and John. Their right to power, they claimed, was through will and force. So if you look at the agencies in America today, the EPA, for, uh, for example, their will is uh, created through their rules, which have the effect of laws. And their force is the law enforcement they bring to bear, such as out in the West, where uh, your water rights are compromised by federal agencies now.
0: Well, this is a great concern, and I think of something like the IRS, the addition of 87,000 agents, also Uh the, the arming of the IRS and the amount of ammunition and weapons that they have. I mean, what could possibly be the purpose for that agency to be armed?
1: That's a perfect example. The will of the IRS as an agency of the federal government is paramount to other concerns, and their use of force is pronounced in the fact that they will be armed that's tyranny. That's the definition of it.
0: In modern day America, right. many, many people today seem to ignore, uh, I would imagine many people are not even aware of the fact that we just discussed regarding the IRS. So how do we combat that?
1: It's a matter of retaking power out of the executive branch of government and allocating it back to states or getting, just getting federal agencies out of Washington, D.C. I understand Ron DeSantis is working up a plan to do that to diffuse power back to its uh, rightful holders.
0: You know, I was reading the other day, Richard Lyons, about Tennessee and the Tennessee uh, State House is putting together several nullification bills, basically saying that if a law comes across, a federal law comes across, and it is unconstitutional, we will not only not enforce it, we will nullify it. And I'm kind of wondering if that's the direction that we're going to need to go here, because it doesn't seem to be working through the traditional methods.
1: I think the states have the most leverage in, in refusing federal law, and it would have to be at that juncture because that, at that level, the states have a great deal of clout. They were originally, Rob, set up per our Constitution to be a bulwark of defense against a federal overreach. That was their original role. But when we created the income tax and when we took the vote in states from the legislatures in electing senators to having them be popularly elected, the states became less of a bulwark of defense. Senators from states ceased to represent their states and the people of their states. They represent now the federal government and getting money back to their states.
0: I am so glad you brought up the 17th amendment and that is a, yeah. long, that's a long forgotten amendment. Many people are not aware of the fact that the country was set up differently. And what, yes. what I've seen is exactly what you referenced over the years, particularly, I think, of Obamacare, where we had United States senators voting against the interests of their own states instead for a national political agenda to the detriment of their own states. Um, that's a very dangerous thing, and that is not the intention of the founders for this country.
1: Well, yeah, the whole thing, it all changed when Woodrow Wilson created the income tax, which at that point, it's, it's raking all the wealth of the whole country into one place, And then having the power in that one place to parcel out of the treasury money back to states that comply with federal law rather than defending their own interests. It's a a key point in in our history.
0: I want to step back now into history and you talk about Israel and specifically I want to talk about the Ten Commandments and the importance that they are to us today. But let's talk about what was going on in Israel and how governance then has shaped governance now.
1: Well, it's just a different conception, and and the contrast could not be more clear. In Egypt, the Pharaoh was God, and, and God owned all the land, all the water, and the law. His word was law. Israel was unique in that God took the form of law, but it's a law in writ, and it's a law for all people to be held in common, rather than a gift to one man to parcel out justice. So the contrast is very clear from, from that perspective. The Ten Commandments are, you know, God is law on earth. That is God's form. And it's, it's remarkably clear how, how what the contrast is there.
0: If we think about the Ten Commandments uh, and we think about the references to the Ten Commandments in the American court system and then the removal, as you've heard over the years from various courthouses yeah. and the influence of the Ten Commandments. What does that mean for a society if we try to pretend like those are not relevant to our government today?
1: Well, I want to take a more general view at this point. When you remark on that, okay, and and there's also all these other things going on in, in the EPA and the IRS, these are all symptoms of a common disease. The common disease is the concentration in power in one place among a few people, having the will and the force necessary to make the country comply with its will. So what we look at is scattered. They're using the fulcrum or the mantra of racism to, uh, and vice, frankly, the freedom to uh, be in virtuous, to take us away from our foundations. That is the critical point of my book, Shadows of the Acropolis. They're trying to rip away our foundations so we have no longer our DNA of liberty. And part of that is central, and it's the Ten Commandments. And it's our independence to have the faith we want to believe in as individuals.
0: We're going back to Israel and the Ten Commandments. I'd like to talk about a couple of other significant milestones in history regarding the DNA of democracy. And let's go to Greece now and and what they gave us from their own system.
1: They were governed by a a tyrant who decided that half of the Athenian citizenry was cursed. Mm. And therefore, he could take their lands and all their powers And that was enough for the uh, Athenian people to rise up against Isocrates, and then uh, Cleisthenes created the Athenian constitution, which gave all power to the people. All the people as a whole, or the citizenry as a whole, would decide matters of state. And in their trials, they would convene a thousand people a day to hear causes in trial, so that there was a common law among the citizenry, and that was a major step in the advancement of democracy.
0: What was the failure of that system? Where did it break down?
1: It became so wealthy because it was set up virtuously that it became spoiled, it became too wealthy, it became arrogant, and it ended up attacking a fellow democracy in Syracuse on Sicily. There was a city-state of Syracuse that was almost as democratic as the Athenian democracy. And the Athenians decided to attack Syracuse under uh, Alcibiades. That crippled both democracies and ended up giving the advantage to Sparta and Lysander to attack Athens and conquer it.
0: Something that you mentioned reminded me of something going on today. And you mentioned the declaration of half of the Athenians as cursed. And I'm thinking about uh, Joe Biden and the demonization of so-called MAGA Republicans.
1: It is remarkably, it's a mirror image in history. This is why history is so important, Rob. If you see that it has happened before and you can see it echoing again, you're better able to defend yourself. It's exactly what's going on now. They seek to marginalize us by the mantra of, oh, we're MAGA people. Oh, we're automatically racist. By these means, they're trying to disenfranchise us.
0: Let's also go to Rome. You spend significant time in your book on that as well. And what were the contributions to our modern day system from Rome?
1: So, if we have Athens first, Athens is the manner in which we are ruled locally. Our constitution devised a means by which localities govern themselves. It's in the, I think it's the 10th uh, of the Bill of Rights, that those powers not given to the federal government are reserved to localities and states. The Roman method of government was by republic, by representation of different tribes and different classes uh, underneath government. And so their constitution was the constitution form that we have at our federal level. We have Athenian democracies locally, ideally, and then representative democracies at the state and federal level. Also, the Romans were, the landmark of their governance was property rights. They conceived of property rights and different rights of individuals, which they enumerated in the the Twelve Tables. The Twelve Tables were put in the center of Rome. They were the law. They were like the Ten Commandments of Rome. They were put in the center and in bronze so that everybody could read them, and it was the common law of Rome.
0: In the same way that there was a failing in the Greek system, what what was the failing of the Roman system? It was a, a differentiation from what failed in the Greek system.
1: Well, it's remarkably similar in that, and similar to what we're seeing today. The Senate was conceived as a power within Rome, diffused among many families and persons, and that shifted, its power was shifted through the overempowerment of the tribunes, so that the senatorial class had less power and the government was more subject to demagoguery, which then... You have to be a student of history. It then suffered the government of Marcius and then of Sulla, uh, who were actually the first tyrants, and relied on the masses of the people to overthrow the intermediary powers of other classes in society. And we're seeing it today, and that started with Woodrow Wilson. We were just saying, when the states ceased having their own powers, when the states ceased representing themselves, that's what happened to Rome.
0: The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Richard C. Lyons. We continue in a moment.
1: Online at SchillingShow.com.
2: We'll <laughs> be
0: Richard C. Lyons is our guest. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy and the Shadows of the Acropolis here on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. So I want to fast forward to the uh, pre-foundational America and some of the concepts that set America apart from the rest of history. And I want to start with the focus on the individual, which is really being overridden today as we have groupthink and we look at people in large groups. But this focus on individualism was critically important. Why?
1: It descends from the philosophy of John Locke, and he was unique in his thinking, in that the individual has to be supreme for the freedom of society. Each individual has rights. That is John Locke's philosophy. I recommend to anybody a study of that. And what changed in America with Woodrow Wilson was the collective sense of we. We no longer have individuals, but individuals make up we. And in order for we to be free, we have to consider the whole of the society instead of its component parts, of which the individual, of course, is the important part. So we've inverted our sense of things. In the founding of the government, the individual is supreme. In the sense of the Democratic Party today, it is the collective we that is supreme. And a few people within the we determine what's best for individuals.
0: We had a Democrat local politician here in Charlottesville a few years ago who gave his, uh, his inaugural speech uh, talking about the commons and the importance of the commons, which is a completely right. anti-American focus. And yet I think this is what uh, young people are being taught in school today, that you know, what's, what's yeah. good for all of us supersedes what's good for individuals. And again, that leads us to a very bad place.
1: Well, here's the problem. Only a few people decide what's good for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're in Washington, D.C. right now, and what it is, it's a collection of lobbyists and lawyers who determine what agencies make what rules that have the force of law. Every time a rule comes out, a lobbyist makes money, and a lawyer makes money, and the money is at our expense.
0: How have we been tricked into trusting them? Because this was not the case. In fact, there was great suspicion over much of the history of America over the sort of centralized big government that you're referencing.
1: In our system, you're only supposed to, they, they, when we when were founded, it was thought, well, farmers are going to come in. They're going to hold office for a couple of years and yeah. then be gone. They would represent the interests of their communities, their states, come in here and then leave. What we have now in the administrative state is millions of people that are there for life, that are making the rules for everybody who's not there. They cannot be fired. They can't be argued with like the IRS. Are you going to argue with the IRS? You are an individual against a mighty, mighty system. The greatest manifestation of what will happen when you attack the administrative state is what happened to Donald Trump. He was persecuted every day he was in office. I'm not a big fan of his Madison Square Garden punchback style, how rude it can be, but he he did not deserve the persecution he got. And that's what happens when you uh, say a word against the administrative state.
0: I would also hold up the January 6th political prisoners and those that committed crimes should be punished. But we've had people who have been locked up in gulag-like conditions uh, simply for being present. And and there's a witch hunt on for people who were even anywhere in that area on that day.
1: I'm not cognizant of all the facts about that day, but I I wonder why, I wonder whether the FBI wasn't.
0: I want to go back to... um, Foundational America and another one of the the major principles, which again is being denied by many on the left today, but the the importance of faith, uh, particularly Judeo-Christian heritage, to the foundational principles of America. Would you elaborate?
1: Yeah, it goes back to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments differentiated God from government. There's civil government, and there's one spiritual nature, which is individual. So in America, it's part of our DNA. It was our founding for heaven's sake, the pilgrims came from Britain because their faith was persecuted in Britain. They were not high church Anglicans, and so they were cast out and came here to be independent of a civil authority that demanded how, what they should believe in. So that is so foundational. It's the deepest core of our DNA, as I speak of the DNA of democracy. So when you, when you see today these uh, literally taking down statues taking crosses out of out of churches, taking them out of churchyards, taking the Ten Commandments out of state houses. These again are all symptoms of the same problem. They're trying to rip our DNA of democracy out of our system and replace it with the collective we and the few people who will tell you what to
0: think. The American Revolution was quite a turning point in world history. And as we've talked about these foundational principles Let's talk about the tipping point, uh, because many people are looking at uh, perhaps the Declaration of Independence and saying, we may be in the same position today or getting there.
1: I would argue that we are, Mm -hmm. and that the conditions between the colonists and Britain were then exactly what the conditions are today between federal agencies and the general populace. Again, we go back to will and force. The British were telling colonists what to do, and the colonists had to pay For the force used against them. They had to pay for the occupying British Army. So now we're being asked to pay for 87,000 IRS agents who are going to enforce the will of the federal government upon us, go into our bank accounts, go into our personal lives, find out where we spend money, decide whether we should be spending, you know, donating to a certain politician, donating to a certain church, giving our money to a certain school that may be private, and determining whether they like that or not. Now that is exactly where the colonists stood in relation to the British before the revolution.
0: We, we referenced the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to go on to the Constitution and also the Bill of Rights. Again, just game-changing documents, um, yes. just amazing in the course of human history that these came about as they did.
1: Uh, well, the Constitution was, it was an absolutely unique assembly of 55 representatives of the new 13 states that were convened to devise the greatest method of government that would diffuse power, work against the concentration of power which they had just fought a revolution to free themselves from. And they brought with them all their libraries, all their various texts of comparative constitutions from history. So they had the Constitution of Syracuse, Constitution of Rome, Constitution of Rhodes, of Athens, all brung together with one idea that they spent the entire summer devising the best means of keeping power diffused. And the main part of that was keeping power out of the hands of a central government, keeping power local, keeping power at the state level. The only thing that the federal government was supposed to do was fight wars initially and see to a, a method of law that would govern commerce between states, that would make sure that no state was being manipulated. That was their conception. When they got the Constitution together, Patrick Henry stood up and said, I'm not going to support it. And they said, how, how can you not support this? And he said, it's a fiction that you can create a government that won't become concentrated over time. And his words have been borne out. And his major, major uh, contribution to the Constitution was the Constitution cannot go forward with Virginia, if you do not include a Bill of Rights, which was based on uh, Virginia's Constitution and their Declaration of Right. So those two documents are extremely important. And what we find, if you read the Shadows of the Acropolis, I go into how exactly how our Constitution has been changed in the past century, bit by bit. And now we have a government that's encroaching on our Bill of Rights at every step quite a lesson in the concentration of power. We could, America became a lesson in how to make a country free. We might become a lesson in how to lose it.
0: We talked about Woodrow Wilson. I'd like to go a little bit ahead of him and go to FDR and the New Deal, which was another strike yeah. against Americanism as we knew it.
1: Yeah, very much so. He invaded the, the economy and he also set up, through the TVA, the conception of regional, regional governments so that the federal government would have a, a sort of can opener into state and local government. It was very effective. And he became very effective in parceling out favor from the federal treasury in order to secure voting blocks nationally that would keep the Democratic Party in perpetual power, which worked up until Newt Gingrich.
0: We also had a a kind of an echo, an historical echo with LBJ and the Great Society, which again expanded the administrative state and the size of government.
1: As much as Woodrow Wilson invaded the Constitution, as much as FDR invaded the economy, LBJ invaded what I call the original powers of America that's family, faith, enterprise. It's all those powers that in our country by the Tenth Amendment were said. If they, if they weren't defined as being a part of the federal power, they should be left alone. LBJ invaded those powers and it became uh, the ghetto system in America.
0: And so what we've seen, and you referenced this in the book, Richard C. Lyons, is this push for reliance and dependence on government instead of independence and non-reliance on government. Again, we're heading there at a very fast pace.
1: Takes away our power as individuals. What protects our power as individuals? It's our family. It's our faith. It's our local community. It's our enterprises. So when you invade all those things with a federal government, the individual becomes defenseless. A concentrating power wants to take over all the intermediary powers between the individual, the uh, concentrated government, in order to invade the rights of individuals.
0: We have a system of elections in this country that, by and large, was unchallenged for a long time. There are many questions right now. You even have a chapter about fair elections. What yeah. do we do if the election system itself is not solid or stable?
1: Very clearly in the original Constitution, this matter is left to the states. The states will conduct and oversee their own elections. What we have seen after the, with the election of Biden just before, prior to that, was not the legislations of toss-up states, but their attorneys that overthrew standing law in order to allow mail-in balloting. It's a dilemma because they diluted the election system, and now they're saying we ought to nationalize elections. If you nationalize elections, you again overturn the Constitution, and you again hand power to a very few people in one place in this country. Very dangerous to change the election laws of the states. They should retain that power. Absolutely. And when you see all this rioting among 200 cities just with Trump being president, what, and then they're saying, well, we need a national police force. What does that mean, that they can't trust local police? They want to nationalize it. They want a few people in Washington to control the police throughout the country. That, again, very dangerous. Very dangerous. So any time you see somebody you know, recommending, oh, we need to take that power to Washington, that is exactly against our Constitution.
0: Finally, Richard, a lot of people are thinking about how to counter this huge, monstrous uh, federal government and all of the problems it's creating. I have interviewed a number of times over the years, a gentleman from Texas, Daniel Miller, who has the Texas Nationalist Movement, looking to create its own independent nation in Texas, because this problem seems intractable. So where do we go from here? If, if that's not the answer, what is
1: I came to the conclusion at the American Revolution, that, that section of my book, it took everybody, literally everybody on, uh, of the colonists, to stand off the foremost army in the world at that time. Uh, and it will take everybody to understand how this country has changed and where it is going to head if we don't all stand up and say, hey, what's the matter here? I spent the last six years discovering what the matter was and what the problem is, and it's a matter of education and letting people know we have a real problem in this country. And once you understand what the disease is, you can tell the symptoms. The solution is not for Texas to become its own country, though it has that right by its unique constitution, but that we all get together, uh, such as you and I are here on this podcast, and say, wait a minute, this is not what our country is supposed to be, and we are going to take back our rights starting now.
0: Richard, if people would like to get a copy of your books, The DNA of Democracy or Shadows of the Acropolis, or to follow your work online, would you tell us how they can do that?
1: They can do that at uh, richardclyons.com. Books are available at Amazon or per request at any retail outlet.
0: I hope people will take advantage of the opportunity to educate themselves. You've done all the hard work. Now we just have to read it. It's a well-done series, and it's so important. Richard C. Lyons, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Thank you very much for what you do, Rob.
0: That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at SchillingShow.com, where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time...